0: We have a special guest with us today, um, a good friend of the First Nations Center, um, and I've actually known him for coming up on almost 10 years, it could be. Well, not that quite long, but almost 10 over years. five years at least, I think, now. Between five and 10. Yeah, between Let's five and 10. Let's say eight. Sounds... That was the number I was going to land on, actually, so <laughs> it works out good. Um, but uh, Ryan McMahon, uh, he's a, a well-known uh, Indigenous uh, First Nation comedian in, in Canada, and uh, you know, has traveled long around the world with his stuff. Um, but he's also uh, becoming this, uh, it's like I call it, like a like the the pod father. But he's almost like a, this. He's he's trying to like, I guess. What, I'll let him kind of speak to more. But it's you know, he has a Indian cowboy. It's it's a. Um, podcast network slash media network or website or um, he'll go on more and it's just yeah so just kind of welcome to Ryan and you know he's brought him in down he's been part of a different program than that we do at the center um, and th- this time we've had him down he's done uh, working with the youth of Oneida and we've done workshop today and we'll go back tomorrow tell us about what Indian Cowboy is and, and you know, your, your your other network that you're hopefully, or media platform you hope to build.
1: Yeah, uh, thanks for, for having me here. Um, um, Indian and Cowboy is, uh, is a platform, it's a digital media platform um, that uh, we, um, my team and I are building out to uh, feature uh, indigenous made, indigenous created, uh, digital media content. Um, think of it as sort of a, Uh, a placeholder for for Indigenous Stories Online Um, and uh, it's member supported so our our network is paid for by our paid membership. Uh, Memberships start at a dollar, it can go up to as much as you want to pay per month and uh, really we're we're working completely outside of the mainstream Canadian film and TV um, uh, broadcast industry. And we're creating an industry and an economy with indigenous stories where one has never existed before. So we're really focused on being a sustainable, ethical uh, indigenous media company that is focused on creating uh, jobs and opportunity for for, uh, creators. And um, the the parent company, my company, is called the McCoontz Media Group. And McCoon's is, uh, we are, uh, what we're, our mandate is, is to build proprietary platforms. So um, to build other online spaces for, for other types of content to go. So looking at licensing, uh, uh, video content, licensing, all kinds of other content to fulfill curriculum requirements here in Canada, uh, in the, you know, in the sort of the wake of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. So we've got all kinds of Bits and pieces to the to the business plan, but uh, our soul our, like our big focus right now is building out um, Indian and Cowboy. So just kind of going back further
0: for where we are now, uh, I met Ryan a few years ago. Um, he was doing a workshop at uh, at Wilfrid Laurier, the school I attended, and you know he was. Uh, I remember seeing him on different uh, you know CBC and stuff before, so it was really cool. I obviously love stand up comedy, and um, so it was kind of cool to interact. And then when you meet. When I met him, it was like this cool experience of like, they almost say never meet your heroes or, you know, people that you adore, and like in the media, because then you're always disappointed. But for when I met you, it was like not like that. You were just so given, like you, you know, did workshops with us. And then we, yeah, you were just so open. It wasn't like this kind of like, hmm, like I'm, you know, <laughs> this yeah. attitude of staunch attitude of like, oh, well, I've done things and and whatever. But I guess what I'm trying to allude to is like, now that you're doing with Indian Cowboy and then your, your parent company and from where you started where you, you were Second City like mm-hmm. how how does that from Second City lead to here at this point or like yeah. is this what you obviously or this is,
1: did you ever envision this was where it would lead to never no, no. Um, and I've never wanted to be the CEO of a company or or of of a few companies I've never wanted to talk with investors about millions and millions of dollars of investment going into a brand that I'm building. I've never thought that way. Um, but all of that work has sort of necessarily come from, from the career that I've had in, in uh, film TV and, and in comedy. And so, you know, <clears throat> I started out, um, I finished theater school in 1999, uh, I have a degree in theater, and, and I moved to Toronto to, to you know be an actor um, and then when I got there, I realized that my trajectory was going to be very different. That you know I'm not visibly native, so I'm one of those fair-skinned uh, native people that you know <clears throat> there's just not a lot of room for in in native film or TV. Um, and so you know when I'm sitting in an auditioning room with Lauren Cardinal and and uh, Adam Beach and and Nathaniel Arcan, these beautiful brown men, and then there's me, the frumpy fat dad, like I'm not (laughs) gonna be cast in Dances with Wolves the musical, you know? So I just instantly realized and recognized that I was gonna have a different trajectory. And um, um, by the time I finished school, I I had already logged hundreds of hours on stage and was very capable and competent uh, on stage as an actor. And so my move to Second City, my move to doing sketch and improv comedy there, and going through the conservatory and graduating there, just through time, everything just kind of slowly and organically evolved for me. And it's, it's still like that today. Um, everything that I'm doing now is, an, is a continuation of what I've done before. It's just, um, I, think, I think now the difference is, is that you know, I'm, I'm more focused on building a company that can give other people opportunity as well. And so, as I started to get success through comedy, and privilege, and and you know TV specials and all the rest, I realized I had pr- pretty enormous privilege, and I wanted to pay that forward. I wanted to give that back to other people, to to young Indigenous people, to say, um, I don't want to just take all this privilege for myself. I want to I want to give it back. And so, making space for other people and building these companies is kind of just an organic process mm-hmm. from starting out to, to having a career, to being very lucky. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm one of few indigenous artists that work full time at my art um, in this country. And a lot, of, a lot of my art friends, music friends work, you know, two or three jobs on the side to kind of get things done. So I'm very fortunate, I'm very lucky that it worked out somehow. And that's why I tell, I tell young people this all the time is you have to trick the universe into trusting you. You have to trick the universe into allowing you to do what you want to do for a living, and if we can find a little space for ourselves to do that, we're, you're, you'll live a good you'll live a good life.
0: Now, what were some uh, some of the major hurdles like that you had to overcome? Like either being uh, and like you kind of said, because one with acting gigs was like you don't look the part, but then even in second city and was the idea of like being an indigenous you know, improvist, or, yeah. or whatever yeah. the word would be, and like, what were some of the hurdles to there, to even, you know, doing stand-up co- comedy in Indian country, and what's expected of you, or what people are, the norm they're used to in a comedian, yeah. well, like, what were some of the major hurdles
1: when it came to that? First and foremost, like, through, through comedy, at, at the Second City, I, w- I was young, I was, you know, 22, um, 23, you know, at that time, so I was still figuring out what was funny to me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: but you know, I'm the first Native graduate of the Second City Conservatory in Toronto, and so I was charting, and my career has been like that. I've charted new territory all the time. I'm the first Native comic to do a one-hour mainstream special for CBC, you know, Just for Laughs. Like, there, there's this list of things that that I've done first. And that's not to toot my own horn, it's just to say that there was a lot of ground that was, be, that was brand new. Mm-hmm. Um, and i benefited from all those that made that space for me to walk into. But, but at that time, I was still trying to figure out, work out what was funny to me. And, and I remember one time at the Second City. So you go through the conservatory, all six levels of the conservatory, and you, you write a grad show. And for the grad show, I was pitching this sketch that <laughs> kept coming to me every level of, of the conservatory. And, and uh, it was about... Um, bringing then Prime Minister, Jean Chrétien, into a sweat lodge and getting our land back. And for me, it was so funny to me that the Prime Minister would go into a sweat and be afraid of the dark. And so in a live theater, what it was, was um, you kill all the lights, so the audience is sitting in black and and they just hear Jean Chrétien, and, 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 and these native people are like scurrying them, like hustling them into a sweat and then, so it's just all completely in black and, and the voices are just, you know, are, are just coming through. And it was so funny to me that, that he would be so desperate to get out of a sweat lodge, he'd give our land back. So I pitched that to my second city class. And of course, these are all white people that have, n- they've never seen a sweat. Yep. They've never been to a sweat. They don't know what a, what a sweat is. And I'm like, but it's dark in there, so it'll be black in the theater. And they're just looking at me like, I might as well be speaking Russian to them. Um, and that was like early on, like those were some of the indicators that, that the comedy that I was trying to write as political as it was and commenting on certain things was, you know, my comedy was going to be different for the people that I was around. And that's, I think, naturally how I ended up sort of gravitating towards stand-up comedy was that through time, I you know, I was a part of a, a comedy troupe called Tonto's Nephews we're Canada's at that time and still to this day one of the Canada's only native sketch comedy troops and we were successful we had a pilot with CBC like we did some really amazing things but I was very political I, I mean I wanted all of our stuff to be I didn't want to do bingo and bannock humor I didn't want to do the ah, ever sick stuff I didn't want to do that stuff and so um, I wanted to use our stage time as overtly political messaging and like really really be be um, impactful with with that stage time, and we we really uh, all of our members, we kind of all had different ideas of what it should be, and that's ultimately probably why we broke up. but at, at the end of the day, I've always seen comedy as as a vehicle to to have a conversation about change in this country and so through time, I just kind of learned that that's the way I wanted to use comedy as, as sort of like a tool and a, a maybe even a weapon of sorts to, uh, to take our power back. So it's, it's one of those sort of unique challenges that through time you start to really understand like, oh shit, there's 400 people here in a soft seat theater and I have the chance to maybe change their mind about something. Um, Charlie Hill famously said to me... Um, comedy is too important not to be taken seriously. And I thought, whoa, wow, you know, that's true. Like you have a chance, everyone's expecting to laugh, everyone's relaxed, everyone's out to have a good time, but you still have a chance to, to reach them, you know, mm-hmm. in the heart and in the mind. You can, you, can, you can change the way they think or feel about certain things. And so I thought that that's what I'm going to do. That, that's what I wanted
0: yeah. to yeah I uh yeah kind of going back on what you just said about like you know you talked about Charlie Hill and he has like that that famous um you know five minutes on the uh, prior show right yeah. and and that idea of like that's why I think I gravitated towards you when I first met you was like it wasn't that like you said the bingo bannock humor because like for me I just feel like that's that's so like it just dumbs us down almost right and it, it that is, I think what I love about comedy is what you said is like, so politically, you can create a message and so politically charged and I I had this one elder the one time talk to us and he said, you know, no matter what we do, like as First Nation people, everything is politics. It's like, no matter what you say, like it's, it's, the, politics can, it's the politics of this, it's the yeah. politics of that. It's no matter what you do, you're, you're somehow, because people see you and like, they're like, oh, he does a podcast, he does comedy, but it is like it's so much like everything you're doing is further in a message just like even roles that like i would do is like it's at the end there's an end goal that we're trying to meet and it's and it's it's sometimes it's the burden that we take on but it also you can't
1: escape it because that's who you are that's yeah. what we were born into you, you didn't, have to you didn't choose it and you and you can't quite ignore it a lot of us can live our lives sort of as chameleons and kind of like go in and out of spaces in in really um privileged ways where we don't have to recognize. Like me, I'm white passing. I don't don't have to deal with any of this shit if I didn't want to. Mm -hmm. I could live my life completely free of all this bullshit. But I would know. I would fall asleep at night with my head on the pillow alone, you know, worried about the world around me and how to raise my daughters properly and teach them what it means to be strong in Anishinaabe Kwe and like, so so I, I've chosen, and I've, I've always chosen this, I mean, through my life, I, I've chosen to like work on it and try to make it better. And um, I, yeah, a vehicle can be, can be a, a vehicle for change and it can be a vehicle to, I mean, at the end of the day, comedy is supposed to be funny. So if I'm up there being an asshole and just meh, 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 not being funny, then sh- tell me to shut up. But if I'm trying to go somewhere with an idea and there's humor there, um and somehow I can message both something funny and ridiculous but also say something that's that's my goal um you brought up an interesting point that I think is like I feel like the grumpy uncle of native comedy <laughs> sometimes because I'll talk about this online and I'll, I'll call comics uh' I'll, I'll talk with comics after I see them work and I'll, I'll say you know you really need to reconsider talking about Native women that way Or you really need to consider your like absent native father joke or, you know, reconsider the drunken native stereotypes that you play on through your act. And it's because of a a book that I read, Paul Mooney. Paul Mooney is, uh, was Richard Pryor's head writer of the Richard Pryor show Mm -hmm. that Charlie Hill is on. Paul Mooney was a friend, close friend of Charlie Hill's. Influential in comedy. Paul Mooney is like the black godfather of standup comedy. Um, had, you know, wrote on the Red Fox show, um, the head writer of the Dave Chappelle show, head writer for Richard Pryor, Paul Mooney in his own right, um, one of the funniest comedians and most most impactful, important black comics ever. He wrote a book called Black is the New White. And in one of the chapters of the book, he talks about his regret of using the N-word on TV. And... um, he, in the book, details his choice to say the n-word on TV, and and you know, he talked about like how the black comedy movement started in the U- United States, and like it came at a time where stand-up comedy was was kind of dying, and and all of a sudden, Deaf Comedy Jam came uh, through Mooney, who was an executive producer, and. Um, He had just used the N-word on TV and and it gave permission for all these comics to start using it. And and it became normalized. Um, And and he really regrets it because what it ends up doing is it it normalizes the use of the N-word as a derogatory term. Um obviously, the N-word has a long history in America, but it but by putting it into the pop culture lexicon, it actually takes power from the black community and hands it over to the racists. It hands it over to the people that hate you. And Mooney's talking about this in the context of the deaf comedy jam, and I thought, that's right. That's the exact same danger we have through native comedy. If we're gonna Indian this and Indian that, and you know, Native women are so this, and Native women are so that, we have the same, we run the same risk of exploiting our own people. And so, you know, being the grumpy uncle of native comedy <laughs> is a drag, but I see it. I can see it so clearly. And if you go back and watch any of that deaf Comedy Jam comedy, most of it is trash. Most of those jokes for a lot of those comics would never fly today. The politics are off, the premises are shit, and, and the material is tired. And it doesn't hold up. And, and we run the exact same risk in, in native comedy. And so we have to learn from that. And, and we have to recognize what Mooney was saying and recognize the work Charlie Hill did. Charlie Hill didn't do the bingo and bannock circuit. He, he did mainstream comedy in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he died at the end of 2013, and when they had that, um, that uh, night immemorial and celebration of his life at the Comedy Store. Roseanne Barr, Paul Mooney, um, David Letterman, uh, what's the guy with the jaw? The other late-night guy? Leno. Leno, Jay Leno. Um, all of these, uh, um, George Lopez, like, He's all, famous. Uh, yeah, and, and no all of these huge comics came out and talked about Charlie and how influential he was on, on comedy in America because he kind of, by him being present and him being in the space, he, it meant that comics weren't allowed to take anything else from us. And so he would call out comics that were on the wrong side of Native American references and, and stuff like that. And he, he helped put people on that path. And we don't have a book about him. We don't have a film celebrating his life. Like he, and I respect, As this is hard to say, he's my hero and a mentor and a dear friend. Um, and, you know, like I was in contact with him right until his dying days. And, and um, but he died in relative obscurity, you know, didn't have money in his bank account to leave with his family. Like he didn't have that because he didn't choose the easy way. He chose, he chose a, a, a way that was honorable and, and right. And that man died with more integrity to the art form of, of writing and, and, and of stand-up comedy than maybe anyone I'll ever meet. So that to me is how important comedy is. And for me, the trajectory of my career to being able to, to meet Charlie and tour with Charlie and, and learn from Charlie and run jokes with Charlie and, and eat food with Charlie and get high with Charlie and like hang out with Charlie... Um, it changed my life, like forever, um, and and to me, that's how important. Like I hear the words of Charlie, um, and but and that's how important comedy is to me because he worked so hard and sacrificed so much in order for me to be able to do my job mm-hmm. that uh, I owe it to him. I owe him everything. I think from what you kind of just said there
0: is like it's that idea of we almost need a whole. We he held. Like what you're trying to say, you're the grumpy native uncle in comedy, but it's it's not It's definitely not a bad thing. It's just it's that idea of like we you're holding yourself to a higher standard, saying like we're better than that, right? Yeah, well, and I, and I, we I, need to be better than that because eyes are always honest, whether yeah. we like it or not. There's always a perception of how we are, Whoa. what we're supposed to be, and if you just dumb down like that people are like, well, you know, it's like, it's like we want, pro- we should be able to project of what we want people to see. And it's unfortunately we always, it's the
1: negative that's projected about us. Dr. Phil says. <laughs> 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 the one time I've watched Oprah, Dr. Phil was yeah. on, and he says, we teach people how to treat us. And so if we want to be treated like dumb Indians or drunk Indians, and if we accept that from, from the mainstream, if we accept that from other people, that's who we will become. Mm -hmm. But if we hold ourselves accountable and hold ourselves to higher standards, personally, professionally, and otherwise, um, we've got a long way to go. And we think about how far we've come as a community in a short amount of time. Last residential school closed in 1996 to where we are today. Man, our people are brilliant, they're strong, they're they're brave, they're resilient, Um, they're massively Mm -hmm. talented, Um, and we're on the come up. And we see it with young filmmakers, we see it with musicians, artists, academics, language mm-hmm. speakers, like there is more culture and community now than ever. More young people, not just returning to culture in some like ephemeral, like i native kind of way, but actually like living, living through their cultural ways mm-hmm. and their, their, their ways of knowing and, and being. And so this is, the, this is a time that we've never seen before. we were talking about this earlier, but they're gonna write books about this time. You know, 30 or 40 years from now, they will write books about this time. And what's really amazing is we're alive to witness it and we're alive to be a part of it. And for whatever reason, here it is. Mm -hmm. And there's no manual, there's no blueprint. And so we're kind of making it up as we go. And so we have to be really conscious of the rules that we set. Because our ancestors died for us to be here. And that's the most unfunny thing I could possibly say. Uh, but that's the truth, yeah. they died so we could be here. So we better get it right, we, we better not. We, we owe it to them. Yeah, yeah, and we owe it to ourselves. Yeah. Like we don't, so let's leave all of that like doom and gloom behind and like, let's look forward, man. Yeah. Let's celebrate this stuff, man. Like let's, let's have some fun now. Let's show young people that they don't have to carry the burden mm. that these ones carry. Like you're free. Yeah. Go do, be a filmmaker.
0: Well, I think, uh, well, even today, the the workshop we did, you get the privilege of seeing all the generations of, like, First Nation people and- Why, Dan? Because I'm 40? No, not not because you're 40. Because of the work you do and what your network does. (laughs) You know, the, your ability is that you get to speak with elders. You get to speak with elders in all these different communities. You get to speak with people that were affected by residential school the 60s scoop, The doom and gloom stuff that we were aware of, Yeah. but even you get to work with the young people and you get to see the young people of, even today it shifted like my just understanding of our young people and that idea of like, oh man, it, it was like a breath of fresh air. And I think for you, you even talked about it, but you know, your ability to see all that or the privilege of that, like, what does that do for you in terms of your work that you're doing? Like, how does that, like, when you see that, like, I think even today you kind of had a couple, like, you were like,
1: ah, yes, moments. Yeah, yeah, well, I think you've pointed to something really important that I, I say all the time, that the work that I do is, is my privilege. Mm-hmm. Like, people are so grateful when I go work with their youth or their community or, or when I entertain for them. <coughs> But, tr- but truly, the privilege is mine. Because while I'm doing that work, I'm often learning, challenging myself, growing. And so th- there's a reciprocal relationship there. And for me, that's the key. And that's actually the, the secret to it all is that, that you live and, and work um, in reciprocity. And you're, you're taking and you're giving back. You're taking mm-hmm. and you're giving back. Um, and so that's the that's the goal. And I it's taken it's taken a lot of years to kind of really identify what is the most important. But the reciprocity piece is the is the most important. Mm-hmm. And my my you know I, I, I believe that the best thing we can do for each other right now is show up, be in the room, be be together, bring people together, and. And from there, whatever we do will we'll be whatever we do. Um, but, but we need to be, I mean, we think about reconciliation as something that's going to happen between us and them. <clears throat> I, need, we, I, I need to be clear about, like, we need to erase the idea of them, not because I don't believe in Canada or want Canada to be a thing, or that reconciliation can't happen between us and Canada. But the f- first thing we should be focused on is fixing ourselves reconciling between uh, amongst each other, um, rec- reconciling as, as families, as communities, um, and the rest will come. Um, but there's necessary work we need to do and necessary work they need to do. Um, and by the way, if we focus on ourselves, we'll, we'll be better able to support survivors because I think we're forgetting that there are still many there are thousands of survivors that are still alive and the TRC and the work that they've done is is over. And now the survivors who've given us everything in this country in in regards to the TRC and this mandate to do better, um, I feel like we're forgetting them. I feel like we're leaving them behind and I feel like Canada wants no part of them. Mm -hmm. Canada doesn't want to reckon with the actual survivors they want to pretend that there's some progressive country that is, is, is this la-la land and we're all gonna hold hands and round dance, you know, because Justin Trudeau said it's time, you know, we're all like packing up our houses and moving to the new town called Reconciliationville, you know, population you and me, you know, and he's the mayor, you know? Yeah. Get the fuck out of here, like what are you talking about? It can't happen because we're, 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 we can't skip steps yeah. and, and we still need to focus on those, those survivors that need healing. With that said, um, I still do believe that, that our best days are in front of us and that mm-hmm. y- these young people that, that, I mean, for example, the young people we're with today in Oneida, I mean, that just is, is so exciting, you know? Um, to be able to hear them sort of articulate the fact that they want to be informed by the past, but not live in it. They, they, wanna be, they, wanna, they want to be inspired by what we've been through, but not have it be what guides them. And that's a freedom that I've never felt. It's freedom I probably can't feel. My own baggage, my own, my own crap that I carry, my own anger and resentments and different things, um, they're free. I'm not. So at some point, we also have to be willing to get out of the way and let these emerging voices come up. And that means I have to take more of a backseat, a mentorship role. I mean, nothing cool is ever going to happen to me again. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm <a> fat dad. <laughs> the coolest parts of my life are over. Yeah. So the mentorship, the 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 helper, the um, teacher, facilitator role is is I'll gladly accept and I'm I'm really excited. <clears throat> you know, I'm excited by the moment.
0: Yeah. I think that what we've seen today in terms of the voice and they say that, you know, they want to acknowledge a past, but they don't want to live like that's not their trauma and that's not, and even seeing you and like for what we first met in, I think it is seeing that growth in you in terms of you understanding it more, right? Because you've had more years and it, it's taken you, like you said, you've had your own baggage yeah. you've had to deal with. And it's taken me a long time. And even I remember like what their voice and is like what I believed in. I remember being younger and first meeting and I kind of voiced that and you're kind of like, well, you know, like very like constructively saying, I think you're wrong, <laughs> right? And yeah, well, it's, but the what I guess I'm trying to say is that that's why I agree with what you said is that reconciliation like leave them out of it because us like we as a people need to reconcile because there is that power struggle that's happening with young people and that generation that was hurt and dealing with that trauma and that pain. Yeah. But it's it, it, it's it's like butt in heads, right? And it's like we, it's just that dialogue, right? We almost just need the dialogue to happen. We just need that space for us to everyone kind of be in it. People that were hurt and of that generation. And that like, and hear that, like that common conversation of like, well, this is what you wanted. You wanted us to not have to deal with what you deal with. Now we're here. Now you're telling us, no, you have to
1: heal. Well, you, you need to heal. You need to heal. You, it's like you, You've pointed to something really instructive. Everyone has to be together. So we have to stop siloing Mm -hmm. youth over here, elders over here, adults out of the question, young kids, children, babies, you're not allowed here because it's too disruptive. You're right, we bring everyone together. But we also have to do things our way. So if we're gonna have a conference or a meeting, it doesn't start at 1 p.m. until 4 p.m. so everyone can peace out and go home and watch Big Brother. It starts whenever it starts and it finishes when we're done. Mm-hmm. You know, we have, to, we have to change the way we do things because I feel like we're too, we're too married to this, idea, this Western structure of things where people get off work at 4.30 and that's the end of it. Yeah. You punch your card and, and you're out. Young people need uh, us whenever they need us. And, and our elders need us whenever they need us. And so I think all, all of this to say like being of service and being, and being able to give back to the circle, um, give back to the community that you claim and that claims you is, is us at our best. Yeah. And so whatever we're doing to, to give back to those, those communities that, that we claim and that claim us, uh, whatever we're doing to give back is, is the best part, mm-hmm. is the best life we, you know, we can mm-hmm. live. Um,
0: and then kind of going from when you started doing, like working with the communities and doing your workshops and, you know, whether it was through comedy or now the, the podcast or or Indian and cowboy, have you seen the generational change from the students you would work with when you first started to now and like how they even view the world? Absolutely.
1: I mean, it's that, this is why I'm saying like, like it makes me feel like an old man. I'm 40. Um, (laughs) I've said that about a few hundred times today so far <laughs> um, absolutely there's a change and 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 it's not just um it's not just noticeable it's undeniable like it's not just like, oh wow, you know these kids are smarter and the graduation rates are higher and there's more young lawyers and native doctors than ever It's not just that you know the the education data is trending upwards like exponentially um it's in the communities. Um, And there are more, like I said, there are more young people learning their language, more young people returning to cultural ways, um, more than ever. And and that's really exciting. We have this new language that we're using, using ideas like decolonization and reconciliation and indigenization. And we're kind of tackling these new terms and kind of figuring out what they mean in real time. And that's new. I didn't talk like that when I was a kid the first time i heard the word decolonization i was 19 at university and it was conceptual thinking and the, like even the examples we had were not even north america based they're like che guevara mm-hmm. right and we looked at like south america and and you know some some sort of, sort of global examples of colonization and decolonization It wasn't even a north american based conversation back in the late 90s for, for when i took it. Schools, so so we're in a completely new time, and um, that I think that's why it's important that we're very conscious of listening right now. We have to listen to see what these young people want, and and we have to do our best to to deliver for them, because we're not going to get a do-over. You know what I mean? We're not five years from now. We're not going to go okay. Pause. Stop. Stop. Let's start this again. We really screwed it up. Adults. Old people. Chiefs, counselors, that whole, you know, that whole system. We were in the way. We didn't want to give up the reins, but now you take it. Let's not waste time. Let's let's just get out of the way and see what happens. And and if we do that, um, I think we'll be shocked. Yeah. I think we'll be shocked by how well we do. Um, from what I saw this morning in Oneida, that room is full of young, motivated, brilliant minds. Yeah. You know. That just, maybe they need a kick in the ass. Maybe they need a push in the right direction. Maybe they, they need to fail a little bit before they succeed. Yeah. But the mm-hmm. ideas in that room were so strong and so clear. Um, or just given that avenue to do or it. Or just given the space to do it, yeah. The, the, okay. the, the, the space is a big thing. Because like,
0: like the whole idea of like the program we're talking about is it's a program based in community. We're doing an upgrading program,
1: but it's one thing I, I when I I really fought for is because I I wasn't to see. teaching today as an upgrading program. Yeah, I went in there the same way I would a university master's program. Yeah. today, and you probably got answers you wouldn't even got out of there. And those young people
0: were were yeah. hanging. Yeah, and like like clipping along, and that by definition, those young people would be considered at risk or not even, you know, like the... Uh, however,
1: yeah. however, however the system defines them. Yeah. Um, that, I, I actually didn't even know that was an upgrading class. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little surprised to hear it because that those voices were so grounded in, in sort of the Ongwe-Hongwe identity and being from Oneida and having this this historical structure behind them and they're learning and they're messaging in the media that they were passionate about. It's like, just give them everything. Yeah. Just give it to them and watch, yeah. you know? So that. With that guidance though, right? You said like, that's the rules
0: like, that's yeah. like the thing it's always been talked about. Even like growing up in, in how I viewed things, it was always just kind of like almost like that, no, like, no, that's wrong. But now it's becoming apparent and it was in these young people today that it's like, oh, it, I, it aligns with what, I'm talking about. And it is kind of like what you said, like give them the space. Like you wanted, you, like that generation, you wanted us to be this. Yeah. Now let us be it. Don't keep telling us we're not, it's not timing. It's not timing. Like there is, like it is time. Like we, we don't want to keep waiting for us to like say, like now it's time for us. We've healed. We're ready to
1: build. Like no, like we want to build now. Like there's an old saying that I, I when I, when I grew up, I, I, I grew up hearing the chiefs say the youth are the leaders of tomorrow. We got to get ready for the youth, the leaders of tomorrow. And it's like now today, young people themselves are saying, we are the leaders of today. Mm -hmm. Get out of the way, you know? And yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt that something new is happening. Something different is happening. And, and where I get really excited is by, is by, um, where I get really excited is is how indigenous art, music, um, film, media, um, and culture is really like the pathway forward. Um, that's where that's where my it's not educate. I know I'm in I'm in a college. It's not necessarily education. It's not necessarily you know university, uh, master's degrees. It's not um, uh, fancy careers or anything like that we will go further faster when we start to r- return to ourselves through, through uh, art, music, and culture. I just, it just it's just like, it's an undeniable, for me it's an undeniable mm-hmm. fact that, that our art, our, our music, our culture actually gives Canadians something to point to, to better understand us. It gives our young people something to point to to better understand us. And it, it, gives, it gives, gives us something to be excited about. Yeah. You know, I, I mentioned Moana today. Um, young Native kids dr- are gonna dress up like Moana on Halloween for decades, yeah. because uh, you know that's a little Native girl. We we get so excited by that, yeah. um, and and rightfully so. Um, that why aren't we doing more of it? Like why aren't we doing more of it? Mm-hmm. And what's really crazy is now we have these tools. You know you can go to Best Buy and buy these tools. And you're you're set. You can make something. Um, today we we're talking about um, Steven Soderbergh, you know, A-list Hollywood director made his last film on an iPhone entirely. This this is a time. This is a this is the most exciting. And and as an old guy, I've seen that change. This is the most exciting time we've ever seen. And I, I when I finished university and and I started working in the industry and started trying to make my way through it you're talking about industry gatekeepers you're talking about all kinds of different people that that um, that had the ability to make or break your career the internet changed all that that is over those days are done um, so here we are and and um, it's it's happening it happens every day on Facebook it happens every day in in Instagram posts we we're talking about memes today and like, how we're kind of using this pop, these pop culture tools in new and exciting ways. Mm-hmm. I shared that that Basil Johnston quote. Traditionally, we were a contemporary peoples, and when you really think about that, traditionally we were a contemporary peoples. We've always been contemporary. We've always changed with with the times. Yeah. We've always picked up the tools of the day, and, and, and we've here we are. Always been bigger than what
0: before colonization happened. Like. I think it was, like, that one, maybe the last couple times we brought you in, time before that, where we sat in my truck and we had, like, this two-hour conversation of, like, just what we were before we came. Like, the, And it's going, like, they're finding artifacts that predate when, like, the Beren Strait theory and all that, Egypt. like, Egypt, yeah. <laughs> like, they're finding artifacts of from the, uh, uh, like, Inuit artifacts down in the Gulf of Mexico. Mm-hmm. And vice versa, mm-hmm. and finding artifacts in Hawaii that are from Vancouver, Vancouver, yeah. and vice versa, and yeah. it's like, I that's always stuck in my mind. And whenever I'm doing like a speech at a graduation, I always like remind people of like before e- colonization, like we were empires, like we weren't this noble savage, like we weren't this small mind. We were brilliant. We were our our level of thinking was like at a ridiculous level. I I think we're working towards again, but it's like. I always tell people like, we were empires once, and so like, go create your empire. And yeah. that's kind of how I look at it. It's like, go create your empire. And it doesn't have, you know, by creating an empire is not talking about like, money and the cars or all this, or this just, it's just do your best as a First Nation person in in order that you know that you're living a good life and you're doing it in the right way. And that's, to me, is an empire. If you're doing that, and I think i seen that, it was like a breath of fresh air today. have seen those young students of like, oh man, like, they don't need saving. They don't need a savior to come no, to them. No. They are their own savior. Yeah, they that, just need an avenue or a space like he said to just let them do what they need to do.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm not there to uh, to be Superman. <clears throat> and I'm not there to I'm not teach I'm not there to teach them what to think. I'm there to teach them how to think. That's that's what I would like to try to do. And so by asking critical questions about the media and the things we consume today, I'm trying to lead them to, to think about, well, what is the impact of having these types of stories on TV and, and, and otherwise? The, the elders say, and one of my favorite things that I've ever heard from an elder, they say, when you live a good life, life is good. And that's as, as, as simple and as complicated as it is for me. If you live a good life, life will be good. When you try, when you give back, when you f- succeed, when you fail, um, you just keep trying, you live that good life and and yeah, I feel like I feel like young people get that more than ever, and they they have the opportunity to do that mm-hmm. um, and as a parent, you know one of the things that I decide, and we we think about a lot <coughs> as a family uh, with my partner and I is we think a lot about like how we teach our children and what we teach them, how much of the past we have to give them and how much of the past we can hold on to. We don't need to bother them with it. So, so this is the time we're in. It's like, yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful time.
0: Yeah. It's, it's kind of building on that idea of like, I get asked all the time. And I think today even having that was just like, it's good for me to see because it maybe even changes my perspective of how approaching like what, we're doing here as a college, right? It's like, oh, maybe we just need more of that. We just need more opportunity for them, right? <laughs> and obviously when they come here, there's struggles and stuff, but that's on us to figure out. Like I look at it as like when, whenever you're in a role like this or whatever role you're affecting in like young First Nation people, it's your job should be just trying to fix out those systematic barriers that will could hinder them yeah. and just kind of give them like that,
1: almost like that safe zone of where they're not bothered by it. And this is, this is where I get back into Grumpy Uncle, is like, it, for any young people watching this, um, you better understand the opportunity you have, because goddammit, things are good. Mm-hmm. Like, things are so good right now. When I went to university, there wasn't a Native Student Service Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, there wasn't free meals on Fridays. There wasn't a photocopier you could use for there your There still essay. isn't here,
0: by the way. But
1: <laughs> there's, there's no photocopier. No free meals oh, on Fridays. No, oh, it's like every other Friday, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah that's not bad. <laughs> um, but relatively speaking, and I say this, I say this with sort of bated breath, and I'll tread lightly here. You don't have a lot to complain about right now. Now, colonialism. Sexual violence—I mean, violence. Period. There's all kinds of things that that we deal with um, as human beings and as people that come from 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 a marginalized community for sure. Um, but the time we're in and the moment we have has, is 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 yours to take. And so I want to encourage young people to really be considerate of that in terms of 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 their effort of of you know, trying to achieve their education or whatever it is that they're trying to achieve. It's like, let's remember where we came from, man, because just a few years ago, things weren't like this. Well,
0: I think that's a good perspective to have. And that's like the message is, yeah, I think maybe sometimes you just have to be blunt and just say it like it is how you just said it. But it is true. It's like, you know, for some of these young people that don't kind of, are, some can be a little bit spoiled.
1: Well, I, I mean, let's be... Well, you can't say it because you work here. I'll say it. I'll, I'll be the one <laughs> get, to get in trouble for it. But absolutely. And there's like... Look, um, I'm, the, one of the, I'm an angry guy. I hold a lot of resentment towards the church, towards the government, towards a, a lot of things. But honestly, at the end of the day, no one owes us anything. No. Okay? And if we're going to wait around for someone to, 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 to pay us or to give us, you're gonna, you're gonna waste a lot of time. So I want to, to switch that mentality um, as the politics are figured out. Now, I, yeah, it, I, I believe in reparations. I think reparations, the return of land, like that political conversation that we're not gonna have here today is important. But take that off the table and let's, let's, let's go to work. Yeah. Let, let's get excited. Let's let's do. Let's, let's do this move thing. forward. Yeah, because if we if we if we hold on to that too much and if we wait too long, we're just going to be further behind, and we're going to re-victimize ourselves. Yeah. And the truth is, is that um, if you are at a college or a university, you have worked hard to get there. You've probably sacrificed to be there, but you have an opportunity that your cousins and relatives that will never be there dreamed of. Mm-hmm. And so we have to acknowledge our privilege. We have to acknowledge how privileged we are to be in this space. We're yeah. very lucky, and thanks to, in some cases, our communities, in some cases, our families, in some cases, thanks to ourselves, we get to we get to chase an education. Yeah. And to learn is is a beautiful thing, man. Learning is beautiful. It's really really rewarding when you challenge yourself as a learner. Yeah. So. Um, I, I I just I get as you can tell I get fired up and excited about about the abilities of young people and the possibilities and it's like the opportunities we have now I, I kind of liken them to this idea or the metaphor of like bundles. There's like these little bundles of medicine that are out there on the land. They're they're in the classrooms. They're in libraries. They're they're in theaters. They're in in. Um, uh, art galleries and, and museums and the, there are these little bundles and, and you your job as an indigenous person is to go out and find as many bundles as make makes sense to you and pick up the tools out of them and carry them so that you're building your own bundle to carry. And the question that I ask young people all the time is, well, what's in your bundle? What are your gifts? What are the tools that you've picked up through time that you use you know to, to, to carry yourself? And these bundles are everywhere. Our ancestors left them here for us. And those bundles are our languages, they're they're our our teachings, um, our songs, our ceremonies, our understanding of life itself and the world around us. So your job as a young person is to go out there and find your bundle, build your bundle. And um, that's it, drop mic.